This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. We're in Genesis 4, starting in verse 17. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad. And Irad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushiel, and Methushiel fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Adah, and the name of the other Zillah. Adah bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Namah. Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth, for she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. You ever find yourself saying, that got really bad really quick? Um, so uh, last week, last Saturday, I uh, mowed my lawn. My dad had given me his zero-turn mower before he went off to Alaska. And so I was like, oh, man, a zero-turn mower? Am I on? I, I get that thing done in 15 minutes. And so I got up on a Saturday morning, and I was so eager to get out and mow my lawn that I didn't, like, wait until it dried. So I got, I got up at 10 a.m., and I began just, you know, getting through my lawn. And it was just like, boom, doing it, got done quick, and turned around and looked at my lawn, and it looked like a vegetable slaughterhouse. I mean, there was gr- green smeared all over every sidewalk, all over my driveway. And I'm like, oh, that's bad. And what I thought was going to take me 15 minutes ended up taking me three and a half hours to try. I mean, it was horrible. In fact, yesterday, I was still out there scraping up crusted grass off of my lawn. It got real bad real quick. I felt like going around the neighbors and knocking on the doors and saying, guys, I am so sorry for that mess. Do you hear the story of uh, Lamech, the little song that he sings, the little limerick of Lamech here, where all of a sudden now he is celebrating murder? I mean, it was just last week we talked about Cain and Abel and that murder's entering in, but now we see this escalation of darkness to the point where Lamech is thrilled about the fact that he killed somebody. It gets bad quick, and this is, church, listen, this is what happens with sin. This is what happens with pride. And we're in a world where pride is celebrated. But the good news is the text doesn't end with Lamech's limerick. The text ends with a promise 
and the text ends with hope. Our heartbeat is always to get into the head of the author. Why did Moses write it like he wrote it? So he tells this story of a Lamech. He's going through these generations. He pauses at Lamech, and he tells the story this way, but he doesn't end there. He continues the genealogy on to talk about the hope that Eve has in her son, uh, Seth, and how they called on the name of the Lord. And here's kind of what I believe that Moses is after and what I think we can grab a hold of this morning is this. No matter how dark it gets, lightness is coming. So in an ever-darkening world, I will set my hope on the light. In an ever-darkening world, I will set my hope on the light. So I want to look at this contrast together, these two things. And let's start by talking about the, the darkness of man's pride. The darkness of man's pride. Now, before we get too far, I know there's this kind of lingering question in your mind that needs to be answered. Because when we start this text in verse 17, we see this. Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. And a very common question that people have is, where in the heck did Cain get a wife? And I wish I had good news for you. <laughs> but the reality is, there's only one place Cain could have gotten a wife, and it had to be one of his sisters. And uh, now, how did he have a sister? I thought there was just two, Cain and Abel. Well, well, as the story goes, probably as Adam alluded to last week, these guys are more than likely kind of in their 20s when we see the story of Cain and Abel. They're kind of young men at that point. And so you have like 20 years of being fruitful and multiplying. And in 20 years, you can actually have a lot of kids. Just ask the Duggars. And you can have a ton at that time. So you have now probably several daughters that have also been born to Cain and Abel, and we see them uh, coming together here. In fact, MacArthur says this, Cain's wife obviously was one of Adam's later daughters. Now, by Moses' time, this kind of close marriage was forbidden. Sorry to tell you, because of the genetic decay. So, uh, yeah, the law forbids incest, and now for sure it is a sin to do so. So no marrying your sister, and listen, no Kentucky jokes. I've used now one Kentucky joke so far, praise the Lord. But there is, uh, that is uh, more than likely what happens here. But what, I, what the text is showing us is how bad things got and how quickly they got there, and the darkness is there, and you end up with this Song of Lamech. And um, the genealogies are, are happening here. The author pauses on him. And I think the reason is because he reveals this darkness. Now, we're headed someplace. In fact, take a look at Genesis 6, verse number 5. This is where we're headed. Genesis 6, 5 says this. The Lord, now check this out. This is how dark it gets. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. How great was the wickedness? Well, that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was always evil continually. That's bad. Lamech is kind of a pit stop along the way. And I believe Lamech reveals the foundation for that wickedness. How can things get that bad where the every intention of man's heart were only evil continually? How do they get there? Well, they get there with pride. And they happen in this little thing. You, you notice probably verses 23 and 24. If you have an ESV Bible, they're formatted a little bit different. They're aligned and spaced a little bit different. Well, that's because this is actually a Hebrew poem. 
Gordon Winham in his commentary said this, this is a superb example of an early Hebrew poem using a variety of literary devices to maximum effect. He uses parallelisms, even rhymes in the Hebrew. So if you read it in the Hebrew, it would rhyme, and it could have been a song. In fact, a lot of the commentaries will call this the song of Lamech. Now, that's coming from the fact that uh, Jubal was, was mentioned in verse number 21. His brother's name was Jubal. Jubal means trumpet, and he was the father of those who play the lyre and the pipe. So music is kind of mentioned in context here, and this could have been Lamech's song that he sung, and it wasn't a worship song to God. <laughs> no, it's a worship song to Lamech and a celebration of his wickedness. And pride is certainly the foundation. So what I want to do, listen, I don't preach uh, just to preach. I preach for life change. And so, I mean, imagine you getting this text and someone saying to you, hey, preach this to a bunch of people and apply it to their lives. It's a challenge for sure, but there is a lot here for us because what Lamech does in his little song here is he reveals the attitudes of pride. And I think it's good for us, especially us today who live in a culture where pride is the air we breathe, like to be careful these aren't showing up in us. Let me give you four attitudes to watch out for, four attitudes of pride to watch out for. Here's the first one. Uh, I know better than God is an attitude that we need to watch out for. I know better than God. Now, I'm taking this from verse number 19. So if you look at 419, check this out. It says this, and Lamech had two wives. How many wives did he have? Wait a second, because back in Genesis, God had told man what to do. He said, therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, husband, wife, one flesh. But here's bigamy, first time it's mentioned in the Bible. Where did he get the idea that he could take two wives? Well, I deserve more than one wife. Most men have one wife. I, I get two wives. And what does God know? I mean, sure, God had a plan in place, but God doesn't know what I know. God doesn't know what I need for my happiness. God doesn't know what I need to feel fulfilled. I know better than God knows. That was the pride behind that decision. So, so do we see this in the world around us, the idea that we know better than God? Are you kidding me? Everything that God is for, our culture is against. And everything God is against, our culture celebrates. Sure, God has his word. Sure, God has his rules. But we know better than God. It's prevalent in our culture. And it's the air that we breathe I think this is an attitude we can see from the text. It's a little more subtle. Let me help you see where I get it. But this is, I deserve to get what I want. I think an attitude of pride that we see in the text is, I deserve to get what I want. Now, names in the Bible are very, very interesting. They are often descriptive of the person themselves. We're going to see another example of this in a minute. But, but when you look at the wives of, the, the names of the wives of Lamech, he's got two wives. One is Ada, the other is Zillah. Uh, Ada means ornate or decorative or beautiful. 
And Zilla actually means like a tinkling, but if you can imagine uh, like pleasant wind chimes, we have these wind chimes in the back of our, and when the wind blows, they're just beautiful to listen to, and like a beautiful sound. And so the names of the wives are pretty and pleasant sounding. As one commentator put it, a pretty face and a sweet voice. Gabriel, the commentator, said this, probably the holy author wanted to show Lamech as a person who had succumbed to sensuality. They're the prettiest, they're the nicest, and I deserve that. I deserve the best. Certainly an attitude we see all around us, attitudes that, well, we deserve an entitlement are extremely prevalent in our culture. They're encouraged in our culture. You should get what you deserve. You go get what you deserve. Or how about the idea of worthiness? I mean, how many times this week did you hear that some level you are worthy? You're worthy to go do this. You're worthy to go do that. You deserve it. Go out and get it. You deserve it. Certainly prevalent in the text in the culture around us. This is for sure in the text. This is a, I will not be beaten. I will not be beaten. And take a look at this. It's just a whole kind of context here. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. Hey, he, he hit me. See what I did to him? I killed him. He struck me. I struck him down. I am better. I will not be beaten. You ever see this? If you say no, then you've never watched sports. And it's a horrific escalation. Because at least Cain, to some degree, seemed somewhat remorseful for what he did. Certainly the consequences of what he did brought him remorse. But now here is Lamech, not remorseful at all, but proud of murder, boastful about the murder. Then this attitude comes out of the text. I'm better than others. I'm better than, well, in this case, in, in, in Cain. Verse number 24. If Cain's vengeance is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. <laughs> I'm better than my forefathers. I'm better than those who came before me. Now, what's really insidious is who was it that was going to exact revenge for Cain? Well, back at verse 15 of chapter four, check this out, verse 15. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark, lest anyone who found him should attack him. So it was God's vengeance. So really what Lamech is saying is you fear God, you better fear me. I'm greater, I am better. That is the satanic attitude. <laughs> Satan wanted to rise and be like the Most High, and now what Lamech is saying is, I am better even than God. All in all, a very, very arrogant, prideful attitude. And praise God, that's not us, right? Anyone wanna raise their hand and say, that's not me, I'm not that prideful. <laughs> Because as soon as you stick your hand up, guess what you are? Prideful. 
I mean, really, are there, are there ever times when you're kind of like, I know better than God? I think we can see it kind of two ways. I think we see it one way in our self-reliance. You ever, you ever like this? Like, like a problem comes your way and your immediate and first hope is the fact that you can get your head around it and you can get it figured out? I got this. I can get this. And you preach a message of hope. You know, right? You preach to yourself all the time and you preach a message of hope and the message of hope is, I can get this done. Oh, there's a problem coming up. I can rise above it. And how often are we attacking something and going for something before we ever stop to pray and ask God's help and God to do it? We feel like that's tapping out. We feel like that's, that's showing weakness if we just trust in God and rely on God instead of relying on ourselves. And that can be dangerous you know, for me in this. Like, I can fall to this. Uh, I really highly value people who can just get stuff done. And we've talked about that a lot as a staff, you know, and Adam and I would often say, man, we love the people who can grab a task by the throat and jiu-jitsu it into submission. That's the kind of person we like. And we love people who can just get stuff done. And I can be very proud and arrogant of that and look for that in others. And that self-reliance is I can do this without God's help. I can do this better than God. But I think where it really shows up is not so much in self-reliance all the time, but oftentimes in my life it's in just God-doubt. Not relying on myself, but doubting my God. Have you ever said, God, why this way? Why did you allow that to happen? I mean, I had it all planned out. I knew how it should have gone, and it didn't go that way. God, why did you allow this to happen? I've talked to a lot of people who have struggled in their walk because they thought they had a better plan than God did. We gotta be careful. We can adopt the attitude of I know better than God. Or how about this? I deserve to get what I want. Again, you're told this all the time. This is the air we breathe, and so naturally we begin to think that way. And where it shows up a lot of times with us, it's just entitlement. Of course, I, I, I just got married and I'm just 22, but I should have a house the same size as my parents did. And I should have it right now. And I deserve that thing. I deserve what's best. And we love to show the world how important we are by the things that we have and the things that we might wear. Do, do, do you know that you can buy shirts with just a logo on them, but just to wear that logo you pay dearly? Like, like Supreme, you ever heard of Supreme? Anyone heard of Supreme? Some of the kids know Supreme. And you can buy a shirt that has a Supreme <laughs> logo on it. And it costs a lot of money. And we like that idea, and, and this is, but, but it's not just that. Maybe, maybe you're not quite there, but maybe you're like, well, I would never wear Target clothes, or I would never wear those shoes, or I would never, and I like the best things, and that can be out there. How about the attitude of, I will not be beaten? Um, how sore of a loser are you? Did that hurt a little bit? Okay, I'll keep going. Um... <laughs> I'm better than others. I would never say that, okay? You ever had to go to Walmart? And I think, I don't normally go there. Sometimes I just have to go there because I can't. And you're in Walmart, maybe you're in Walmart, and you're like, oh, Lord, thank you that I am not like one of these Walmart shoppers. I would never wear my pajamas out in public like this. Lord, I am better. 
And I'm just saying, I'm just saying we can say, oh, that's not us. We're not like, we're not like Lamech, but there is some, and again, as your pastor, I want to warn you, sometimes the best applications are warnings to say, let's be careful of where our hearts can go here because it can get real bad real quick. And all of a sudden, we're in, we're in deep danger. In church, can I admit this to you? I can get that way about our church. I, I love our church. And I love how God has blessed our church. And he's done some incredible things here that I'm just so thankful for. That kind of financial report, like Adam said, we ne- haven't been able to give that kind of financial report all the time, but the fact that God is just blessing us in that way is just so, so, so encouraging and so cool. And, 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 and more than just the finances, it's the people's lives that are changing that I love. And right now, God is rescuing marriages. Right now, God is breaking addictions. Right now, God is doing awesome things. And the cool thing is, is I can look and say, well, they got into our system, and then this took place, and this took place, and this took place, and because our system was the way it was, and all of a sudden, now they're finding help, and now they're growing, and there's a balance to that because we believe our systems that we have are based on biblical principles. Like, we want to get you into a small group quick because we believe that that's where life on life happens, and you love one another, admonish one another, encourage one another. It's not gonna happen when I'm standing up here preaching to you and you're sitting there listening. It's gonna happen in life. And so I want you to get into life with people. And so we have a system of getting you into a small group. The principles are right, but if we begin taking pride in what we do and not the principles on which they're based, then we're becoming arrogant. Now, I love, I love what we do so much. I want to replicate it. I want more churches. I want, more, you know, I want to see God doing other things in other places through our ministry. But it's not us. Everyone say, it's not us. Because here's what Psalm 127 and 1 says. Church, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, who build the labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So listen, it's not us, it's the Lord. And we have to fully believe and live in that truth. It's God and he has done it. And so praise him. And listen, we're not the only church that God's doing great things in. God's doing great things in a lot of churches and praise him for his work. Keep us from arrogance, Lord. Keep us from it. As you multiply our ministry, keep us from arrogance. Because it wasn't like Jesus. All this pride that's so prevalent in our culture. Church is so hard because back when I was a kid, things really took this self-esteem road and began running down this self-esteem road. And now we're so far down this road, we're into self-love and self-worship. And that was not the mind of Christ. Philippians 2 says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, excuse me, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of, of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What a contrast to the pride we see around us. The contrast of a humble Savior. And speaking of contrast, let's go back to the text. So you have the story of Lamech and his song, but that's not how the story ends. Yes, there is darkness, and yes, man's pride led to very dark places. But I'm telling you, church, darkness will not win. Verse 25. 
And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Yes, we see the darkness of man's pride, but church, we also see the light of God's promise. The light of God's promise. So a little another genealogy happens. By the way, glance down to chapter 5. And when you look at chapter 5, all chapter 5 is is a long genealogy filled with the lengths of years that people lived, and they lived a whole lot longer then than they do now. I believe that is literal. I believe that actually is true. Uh, but it's a genealogy. And you're going to see genealogies all throughout the Bible now. Genealogy after genealogy after genealogy. Why did God fill the Bible with genealogies? Why did he do that? Well, I believe there's two key reasons. Here's the first. First of all, to build man's anticipation. One of the reasons why we have these genealogies is to help build man's anticipation. And it's really right here in the text. So look at verse number 25 with me, if you would. And this is a, a beautiful, beautiful thing. And Adam knew his wife again, so it kind of, it kind of zooms back in time again. So we're, we're through these generations. He pauses at Lamech to show, man, look at the pride and look at where it's headed. But then he zooms back to Adam and Eve again. And we see this, and Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth, for she says, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. So she's excited about having the son. Why was she excited? We see it again in verse number one of chapter four. Look at 4.1. Now uh, Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore a son, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. She's so excited about having a male child. Why? Well, she screwed up big time. She listened to the serpent. And she led her husband to sin, which brought sin and death and destruction into the world. But as bad as her failure was, God's grace was greater. In fact, look at Genesis 3.15. We focused on this both at Good Friday and Easter, but I want you to see it again this morning. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Talking to the serpent, he said this. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Now watch this. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So here we have a male masculine seed that would crush the very head of the serpent. And so here in 4.1, she's excited to have male children. She's like, oh, here it is. Here are the serpent crushers. But then what happens? Was the promise in Cain? Couldn't have been. Cain was cursed. He was a murderer. Was the promise in Abel? Couldn't have been Abel. Abel's dead. Imagine the hope she had when she first had those boys and the disappointment when everything turned the way it did. 
But then Moses ends our story of pride with this promise. Because now we have Seth. And she's like, maybe this will be the serpent crusher. Now, take a look at this. We're going to go to another uh, genealogy. We're going to go to Luke chapter 3. Take your Bible and go to Luke chapter 3. You got to see this. This is super cool. This is a genealogy of Jesus. You're like, genealogies, oh, they're so boring. Well, that's a bad attitude. I mean, come on. Let's lean in on this and let's learn from this genealogy. And it's really actually incredible when you see this. Take a look at Luke chapter 3 and verse number 23. Luke 3, 23 says this. Uh, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Methot, the son of Levi, the son of Malchi. I'm not going to read all of these, but you get the idea. The son of, the son of, the son of, the son of. All leading to verse number 38. Take a look at verse number 38. This is so cool. The son of Enos, the son of who church? Seth. The son of Adam, the son of God. Yeah, it's getting dark. It's getting real dark. But you have this promise. You have this seed of the woman in Seth that is going to one day lead to Jesus. I think one of the reasons why these genealogies, like in chapter 5, like going forward or there, is to help us anticipate what God is going to do. But also this, not only just man's anticipation, you also have this God's sovereignty. God made a promise, and his promises cannot be thwarted. God made a promise, and he would see it through no matter what. But boy, did Satan try to screw it up. And boy, did we as men try to screw it up. And yet, God was still faithful through it all. In fact, I want you to see another genealogy, if you would. Would you uh, turn to Matthew chapter 1? Matthew chapter 1 for a minute and check this genealogy out. This is Matthew 1, starting in verse number 1. Uh, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. And that's kind of going back the other way. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the, well, hold on, Jacob. Jacob? Do you know about Jacob? Do you know what Jacob's name means? I know I've told you before, but let me tell you again. I know very well what Jacob's name means because my name is based off of the name Jacob. So when I do the whole, what's the meaning of your name? You know, some of you have, you know, means great wall or mighty person. Yeah, well, let me tell you what my name means. So uh, uh, Jacob is, is the, uh, well, James is the Greek version of Jacob. And Jamie is the female version of James. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. But Jacob means deceiver. So when I was first looking it up, like, what's my name mean? What's Jamie mean? Female deceiver. Awesome. That's... <laughs> Yay! Because why? Again, I told you Hebrew names meant more than just like a name they were given. It often spoke of their character, who they were. 
and Jacob deceived. He deceived his brother and tricked him into giving him this birthright. He deceived his father into getting the blessing instead of Esau. He was a dude who wrestled with God, which many commentators say was really kind of like the summary of his life. He showed favoritism to Joseph and got Joseph into so much trouble. I mean, the guy was a jack wagon. But here he is in the lineage of Christ. And by the way, look at how often the Psalms where God will say, I am the God of Jacob. There's a lot of hope to me who's also a jack wagon. I'd ask for a witness, but that'd be too enthusiastic, so I won't even do that. Take a look at verse number five. Take a look at verse number five, because there's something else to see here. And Solomon, the father of Boaz, by who? Rahab. Who is Rahab? She's a prostitute. And here she is in the lineage of Christ. Keep reading Rahab and then Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. Well, at least now we got someone who's a hero, and we're really murderer, adulterer. They're all jack wagons, and yet they're all in the lineage of Christ. And man's failure didn't stop it. The promise of God. Look at verse number 12. And after the deportation to Babylon, so here's enemies attacking the Jews and they're ripped out of the promised land. Surely that would thwart God's great plan of the coming seed and none of it does. Church, listen. No man's sin, no enemies' attacks, and no epic failure of God's people can thwart the plan of God and his purposes. None of it can happen. Our God is that faithful. And that's something to take great hope in this morning. Because I want, I want you to leave here with two incredible truths that you can leave here grasping today because of the genealogies we see in the Bible. Here's one. God will not deal with you according to your sins. I don't know what God's people said. Oh, man, that's so good to know because um, here's a promise. My small group guys and I are memorizing Psalm 103, and, and this is in Psalm 103.10. Check this out. He does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. Here, here's why that's so important. I don't know if anything causes me more anxiety than the anticipation of my own failure. I want to say that again. I don't know if anything else causes me more anxiety than the anticipation of my own failure. I know my propensity to sin. I know the darkness of my own heart. And I know of more godly men than I who have slipped up and failed and ruined it all. And I can let that anxiety consume me if I'm not careful. But I have a promise. First of all, am I going to sin? You have to answer that question. <laughs> Go ahead and answer it. Yes. yes. <laughs> 
But if I stay repentant, and if I stay fighting, and I stay close to Jesus because he loves me and gave himself for me, and if I confess my sin and I run to him, then I have this promise that he doesn't deal with me according to my sins, nor repay me according to my iniquities. Yeah, my sin is great. His grace is so much greater. Because here's the deal at the end of the day. Check this out now. If I'm hoping that I can keep myself away from my own sin, then I'm hoping in myself, and that is pride. But I want to be like the people of Seth. Look at how this text ends, church. Look at verse 26. And at that time, people began to want to call upon the name of the Lord. That's where our hope belongs. And I see that even through man's failures, God was faithful. Even through Jamie's failures, God's gonna be faithful. I'm not gonna call on my name, put my hope in myself. I'm calling on the name of the Lord. That's where my hope needs to be. And I think the other truth that really gets highlighted here with the genealogies is this, and I love this. No matter how bleak things are right now, Jesus is coming again. Like Eve, like the Jews, we can look forward to the future with eager anticipation. Jesus is not done crushing the head of the serpent. Now listen, yes, positionally it was accomplished at the cross he said it is finished and sin was paid for and we live between the already and the not yet and satan is still the ruler of this world sin is still prevalent all of that is still happening creation remains to be broken but listen church it won't always be like this because jesus is coming again For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain will join him in the air, the Bible says. Now, I know there's probably a variety of beliefs as to when this is going to happen and exactly what this whole thing is, but here's the deal. He's coming again. Jesus is going to return. And I want to be like the people of the text ends with in verse number 26 again. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. Here it is again. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. That's where my joy is. That's where my hope is. And my present day position is not to be focused on myself, but to be focused on the Lord. Jesus is my hope. I will call on Jesus. Say that with me. Jesus is my hope. I will call on Jesus. Pride leads us to call on ourselves. Hope leads you to call on Jesus. Pride leads to arrogance and wickedness. Hope leads to grace, forgiveness, and humility. And at the end of the day, it all settles on this. Who do you believe in? And who are you calling on? And may we be a people who forever and always call on the name of Jesus. So Father, we need your help with that. Our sin is great, our propensity for self-reliance and self-love is great, our culture pushes us to that. Let us be a people who love you and not ourselves. Let us be a people who look forward to your coming. Let us be a people who don't call upon ourselves, but we call upon your name. 
And we'll give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Redemption. You are loved.